Welcome to the Nordic Football Podcast, and we are delighted to say that we are joined by a very, very special guest uh, on this show this week. Uh, we're in lockdown at the moment, but we are hugely happy to be joined by an EF Core and Swedish football legend, really, in many senses, and it's uh, Tobias Hussein. Uh, I tried to do the pronunciation there in uh, Swedish. I don't know if that's all right, but uh, Tobias, it's really good to, to speak to you, and thanks for talking to the Nordic Football Podcast. How are you uh, today? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Um, no, I'm fine. Uh, it's been beautiful. It's been a beautiful day here in here in Sweden. So uh, been out for a little walk and uh, popped in for an ice cream at the local pizzeria. So uh, now it's been fine. Sounds fantastic. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, I mean, uh, enjoy it because we're we're in a lockdown at the moment, but. Uh, that's the situation in in, uh, in England and in in Sweden. It's yeah, it's uh, things are still going ahead. In fact, and we, we we mentioned earlier that there's been some games still taking place and that kind of thing. I mean, uh, very very briefly, how is everything out there? Is life still continuing as normal, or what's the situation? It seems like it's not as serious maybe as in other parts of Europe at the moment. No, um, I don't know if it's if it's coming or if it's just not that much uh, happening here uh, I mean there has been there has been reported cases of deaths here as well uh, but at the moment the schools are still open um, there are a few restrictions obviously about nightclubs restaurants um, you shouldn't there, there's not it's not allowed to be more than I think it's it's the 500 people in, in, in the same place uh, so every major event has been cancelled, obviously, or postponed. Um, but that's, I mean, yeah, the businesses is going, is going shit, obviously. Uh, people are struggling with, with their own businesses and stuff. But compared to the rest of the world, or the rest of Europe at least, I think we're, we're fine so far. Um, and hopefully we will be, but it might just be the beginning and, and then something happens here as well, but... At the moment, things are going decent, I would say, if you compare to the rest of Europe. Yeah, fantastic. And hopefully it stays that way and um, everything goes well. Yeah, we, we've seen, as we, as we mentioned, there's been games still taking place in Sweden. The uh, season has been delayed for a few months. Uh, as you rightly mentioned, there, game, uh, there can't be crowds of over 500 people, so the season has been <clears throat> postponed but we hopefully do expect there to be some football coming soon uh, in the meantime though we um we've been playing a bit of football manager and that is kind of what led us to this interview in many ways because uh well i wanted to start the interview in a way because i wanted to start really with the end of your career in a sense because the most recent high profile news with you is that you've you've been in get, getting involved in a bit of football manager not in the playing sense but uh on the computer game sense, so yeah, it's, it's been made official that you've taken over the Swedish website FM Sweden, I believe, um, which covers the f popular football management sim Football Manager, uh, together with a business partner of yours and former teammate, I believe, Pontus Vernblum. Um, tell us about that firstly, let's start there, and sort of how did that come about? How did this situation happen? Um, yeah, well it was, it was Pontus really, uh, who gave me a call one day and he just said, Look, I'm going to take over uh, FM Sweden with two other guys, uh, Peter and, and uh, Daniel. Uh, I want you to join me as well. Um, and from there on, we just started discussing what, what was actually 
what, what was the plans? Um, what were, what were we doing? Uh, what was my role in everything? Uh, but after discussing it for a while, I mean, I've been playing the game since I was like 14. So it's, it's been a huge part of my life so far and still is, to be honest. Uh, maybe a little bit too much. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, that's a, after a few days of just going back and forward, just discussing ideas, um, I just said, okay, I'm in. Uh, and then from there on, I didn't do all that much in terms of the uh, overtaking of, of the web page. I mean, the Game Lounge was the owners of the site before we came in. So basically, they just gave the ownership to us or we overtook it. Um, but it's, it's, it's a good... It's a good thing for me to to be uh, able to spend some time with writing a few articles, um, bit of a like journalist role for me basically. Pontus has has taken over the the, the social media, uh, and Peter is the one with all the updates and and more of the technical stuff together with Daniel. And, uh, so for me, it's basically using my contacts in 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 football and. Getting interviews. We had an interview today with Hino Goitong, who's plays for Aikor. Yep. Um, and he was like talking a little bit about his relationship with with the game in itself. And then obviously, as we have done now, then on the site we've started a, a simulation of of the season 2020. Um, and then we asked him questions as if he was in that game for <laughs> Aikor. Uh, and it sounds very very weird but uh, if you if you read if you read um, the, the things we've we've uh, put on the website it makes a little bit more sense but uh, the basic thing is we're, we're simulating the whole season now when it's no football uh, for real uh, yeah. and we're going to try and report and and write about it as if it is real so people will have some something to follow and maybe uh, the missing f- in, in in sports could be a little bit uh, replaced by this. Yeah, for sure. I think you've had a similar idea as us, to be honest, because we, we've also been running a, a football manager simulator in, in the boring sort of uh, few weeks that we've had with no football. We, we, we started a uh, save with Orgolita called uh, Oisin Source, which is on YouTube as well. And anyone who's listening who subscribes to us can obviously check that out as well. And uh, FM Sweden, you can catch it uh, at FM Sweden on, on Twitter. Um Tobias, tell us why why football manager. What I mean, you said you've been playing since you were fourteen. What what got you into it, and um, how big is it in Sweden in general? Is it is it a big? You know, there's a lot of obviously games now, Fortnite and kind of Call of Duty and that kind of thing. What got you into football manager, particularly as the game itself? Is it the tactical side of it? Was that something that intrigued you, or just you? You know, as a kid, did you just like it? What why football manager, and how big is it in Sweden? Um, I would say it. It was bigger a couple of years ago, I would say. Uh, just me thinking out loud, I would say that FIFA and, and all that has, has uh, attracted a few more of the young players now. Um, sure. People play video games. They don't really play computer games in that sense when it comes to the sports games. Uh, but that's just me thinking out loud. Um, for me, it was... I had a friend who... Um, this sounds like I'm a hundred years old, but I had a friend who had a computer at home. Uh, so he had the game, I think it was Championship Manager 2. Yeah, and yeah. it was the first, I think it was the first time that you could actually play with the Swedish League 
in 95 or 96 something like that um so obviously he was he was a fan of Ergrita, um and i was obviously a fan of, of ifk gothenburg so we started playing during the weekends basically and uh he was always ace i was always glorious um and that's how i came in contact with it and then obviously i got a computer of my own uh and bought the game uh and from there on it's just been you know every every game that's come out since i've bought i've played um and still are uh playing uh i don't know what it is that's captured me i think it's I've always been playing myself, but this is more like being on the other side, like being the coach. You can always, you know, every time you, you look at a team, obviously your own team as well, but mostly other teams out in Europe, you always think, ah, oh, I could have done better than that. <laughs> and and then you and then you take control of the team in, in, in the game and you actually do better than, than they are doing. So uh, that might be one part of it. Uh, nowadays, when, when Football Manager is all that many details and stuff I think it's a good way to learn for me it's been a good way to learn about players learn about teams um, you know try different tactics and, and you know you get I, I still learn things from, from playing from playing football manager you know it's like you know scheduling and, and uh, thinking about games and right here's a game now and the next game is about three or four days and then there's another game and how do you how do you like use your players in the right way and for me that's that's more of an interesting thing now that's come later in my life because as I was thinking about retiring you know maybe getting into coaching and stuff you start thinking more like a proper coach when you actually play the game mm. uh, so yeah it's it's been different things during different periods of my life, obviously, but nowadays it's just, I, I'm, I mean, I, I still just love playing the game. It's just fun. You yeah. know, you take over a team, you do different scenarios. You can go from lower league and try to get uh, promoted as high up as you can, or you pick one of the big teams and just try and win everything. Exactly. So, yes. it's, it's just, yeah. I, Would you say that it's helped you... you would you say that it's helped you then in that sense? I mean, obviously most people who play it aren't professional footballers. Um, they're kind of, you know, people like myself who just play the game and get to know the game through it. Would you say that when you were young and as a kid going through, obviously, the academy, and we'll talk about your career next, but, you know, as you were growing up in that sense, do you think it, it gave you more of an understanding about football as well, how it works when you were about to enter the football for, for real? Nah, I don't, think, I don't think I thought about it that way when I was that young because... Obviously, the game back then wasn't as complicated as yeah, it is sure, now. Sure, sure. Uh, but what it did is it, it it raises an interest in in football because you learn you learn a lot of players' names, you learn a lot of different teams. So, like you playing you play in France and you learn all the teams in France, and you play in the English lower leagues and you learn those teams. Yeah. Uh, and you learn what the stadium names are and you know the colours of the jerseys that you play against and, and the teams you, you take control over and it's just, you get, um, for me it's been an educational part of it as well. Uh, I've learned more about football by playing the game. Yeah. Uh, 
obviously, uh, because it, you, you you get so many different saves and so many different scenarios that you cover basically the whole you cover the whole world almost when you when when you've played it for that long. For sure, for sure. And it's funny that you mentioned Championship Manager because that's kind of when I I started it as well, and I remember. Uh, the likes of Tontonzola Makuku, who you, I think you mentioned on uh, FM Sweden, you're going to try and maybe get as an interview, uh, and Cherno, Cherno Samba, those sort of legends of the past. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could talk about football manager all, all day, to be honest. It's, it's really fascinating. Yeah. But, um, no, it's really good insight. And, yeah, for those, like I say, who want to check it out, at FM Sweden, and we'll definitely be giving you a couple of uh, tweets here and then to let us know how our Oist game is going, because uh, yeah, we're, playing, we're playing EFCO in a few weeks. So, yeah, that should be fun. But um, I appreciate that part of it. And let's move on, though. I mean, for those who maybe aren't as familiar with yourself, uh, just a quick overview. So Tobias Hussein is a a Swedish football, former footballer uh, who last played for EFK Jotterberg, an EFK legend with more than 250 appearances for the club, uh, a striker who scored nearly 100 goals for the club as well. Um, Hussein won 34 caps for Sweden, the Swedish national team and also represented them at Euro 2012 uh, for the national team. Uh, born in Jotteborg, I believe, according to Wikipedia anyway, and there's Jotteborg through and through. Um, you started your career at, at Beko Haken, uh, went to Jurgarden in 2004, where you uh, won the title, uh, before a move to Sunderland in the Premier League in England, well, in, uh, in English football. Uh, you played 26 games for Sunderland um, before returning back to EF Corps. Uh, followed by a spell in uh, in Shanghai, and then finishing your career uh, at the end of the 2018 season in EF course. So, yeah, I mean, where do we begin, really? I suppose the best place to begin is, is the start of it. I mean, you've had a, such a fantastic career. Uh, you were, you know, you're obviously growing up as a, a youngster in, in Jotterborg. Were you an IFK fan from the beginning? Uh, was it always a dream to play for them, or were you... Because obviously you had a spell at Hacken at the time, who at that stage they weren't as big as um, they are maybe today. Reputation-wise, but uh, were you always was it always EF Core for you? Yeah, it's always been. Uh, I mean, my dad played for EF Core for was it seven or eight seasons as well. Yeah, uh, he's he's. But I mean, basically, I think it's my dad has played there. My granddad has played there. His father and his brother played there. Um, so yeah, it was it was inevitable that that it was going to be IFK Gothenburg in, in one way or another. Uh, I was a fan growing up. I went with uh, my granddad and watched the Champions League games during the 90s. Um, so, yeah, from, from early age, it was it was Gothenburg. Uh, oh, I, like, there, there was no other option, really. Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> but, but speaking about Hecken, is we were, like, IFK Gothenburg was was dominant in, in in the mid well all 90s really maybe not at the end but but in the mid of the 90s uh, they were dominant so for the players that came from Gothenburg it was very very hard to to get into the youth team because they basically bought national team players from the age of 16 uh, so what I did was that uh, I chose to go to Hecken instead when I was 17 uh, to get a little bit of an easier uh, route into playing like senior football, uh, because they were playing in the Division One, as they would call then, which is now Superettan, of course. Um, 
so I chose to go there, played in the youth team for a year, then got promoted to the first squad. Um, and then from there on, basically developed in, in, in the way that I wanted. Uh, started playing in the, regularly in the first team, in maybe at 20. Uh, played a 50-odd games in, in Superettan with Hecken before, like you said, then taking the next step and going to Uruguay. And I think if I'd have been in Gothenburg's youth team, uh, the competition, maybe it would have worked out anyway, but the competition was, was much, much worse, better, uh, harder uh, at that time in in uh, IFK Gothenburg. So for me, it was more, I, I valued more that I would I would get more playing time and I get easy. It was it's going to be easier for me to to get to the first team in Hecken than it was at at the other body. Sure. Yeah, and um, obviously they're close closely linked. Yeah, the Hissingen club, and so you started your your kind of senior career there. Really, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, you, you know your dad played for Liverpool, for example. That, you know had a huge amount of success with EF Core as well, um, as you say. So you've come from a, a sporting family. I mean, how was it? Making your way through at Hecken and and the early parts of of your your career, did you did you you know did you see it as like you said a stepping stone then towards towards your garden and the move to Diff was you know how did that come about and how did you evolve as a player in those early years? What you know you, you're a striker yourself. Um, how did you evolve in those early years yeah, playing in Sweden? Um, yeah, I was I was a striker until I was maybe. 16, 17 something because you know, as, a, as a left-footed player you normally tend to to drop down to being a winger because left-footed players just aren't there, there aren't as many uh, so I got to play left wing uh, from the age of 17 maybe till well basically until I got to IFK Gothenburg at 26, 27 they, they turned me into a striker again mm. Um, so I was playing left wing at Hecken, uh, and like I said, there aren't that many left-footed players um, around. Uh, so maybe that way I got more chances than, than than maybe some of the others got. But I developed in a way that, well, obviously everybody wants to develop quicker. But uh, but when I was twenty, I got like the first real break where I thought, okay, this now now I've taken the next step. Now I'm not just not just promising anymore. Now I'm actually quite. I, I, I'm playing like a, like a senior player now. Mm. Um, so when I started doing that, obviously I got picked for the Swedish under twenty one national team. Um, started playing there. Was regularly in the squad. Played in the uh, qualification up to. Uh, the Euros, the under-21 Euros in Germany 2004. Uh, and when we played the, the final qualifiers of, of, of that campaign uh, in 2003, I scored vital goals against first, I think it was, was it Latvia, I think. Um, that put us into the playoffs. Uh, and in the playoffs against Spain, I scored against Spain to make it 1-1 away from home. And with a two-win, uh, with a 2-0 win at home. That goal basically put us through to, to the to the tournament in, in Germany. And those two goals, I think, made clubs interested. Uh, because that was like, okay, now he's actually done something in, in, in more than just Super Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I think those, those goals were probably, uh, they were very important uh, for 
for me to be able to take the next step and, and get that move to to a bigger club. I mean, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which I, I think this is probably a good, good time to ask it, is, um, you know, we talk about it a lot on the podcast about how players in, in Sweden now and in Scandinavia in general, they tend to leave after sort of six months, you know. Uh, we'll come on to a player that I want to talk to you about, Benjamin Negren, in, in a bit uh, as a good example of that. But there's other, there's plenty of other examples. You get players now who emerge at sort of 17, 18, and, you know, after half a season, they're, they're gone, maybe to Belgium or somewhere like that. You were in Sweden for pretty much six, seven years before you moved abroad, uh, obviously moving to, to Eurogarden uh, after the hacking. What perspective does that bring for you? And, and do you think, you know, which, which side of the coin are you on, on on that debate? Do you feel it's better to, you know, stay as you did for a while? Was there a lot of interest? Maybe was the league slightly not as, you know, scouted maybe at that time? Uh, or do you think it's better to, you know, you know leave early as players are doing now? What, what's your perspective on that debate? I think it's, that that is very, very individual. Uh, I think it's it's hard to say that this is the right way or that is the right way. I think sure. every every player and every you know agent, parent uh, has to assess the situation that they're in uh, and think. Okay, I mean, there's so many different eighteen year olds out there. I mean, one eighteen year old could be like twenty four in his mind. Yeah, I mean, he could be very mature. Making good decisions, taking good decisions, thinking a lot about different stuff, and then there's an 18-year-old could be like a 15-year-old and needs guidance. He needs people telling him what to do, when to do it, and obviously those two, they're going to be different. Uh, the, the the best route for them is obviously going to be different. Uh, but I would say for me, it was more about I wasn't I was good enough when I was 18, 19. Uh, Maybe I could have, maybe I could have gotten like a transfer to like Holland or something if people would have looked at me and said, "Oh, now nah, that he's left-footed, he's quick. Mm. We can see something happen there." Uh, but I, I, I wasn't good enough, uh, and I wasn't good enough until the move actually happened. I could have, maybe I could have moved one year, maybe eighteen months earlier if I really, really wanted to. Uh, but, but. I, I would just say they were probably interest, but the the main reason probably was that I hadn't been doing enough to, yeah. to earn a move somewhere. Um, but 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 if you to go back to the to the question about should you move early, should you go? Like I said, it's an individual decision, and it has to be assessed in in every possible way by by parents and agents and players and stuff. But also what what you can't forget in those situations is that like more than often people are going to a bigger club which should mean better training better facilities you get uh, all sorts of different um, options to, to develop and, and train and, and you train with better players probably um, but it has to be I mean, you have to play games. You have to go to you have to go to the place where you play games. I mean, yeah. you can go to a, like in Sweden. If you don't play in the first team, you play in the reserves. Uh, but it's not like that everywhere. And and I think that's the that's one of the main things that young players miss out on when they leave for bigger clubs is that if you don't play in the first team, 
there's no there, there are no games. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. So that's that's one that's one. Um, I think I'm looking one. for an English word here, but that's that that that's, has to be one of the factors. Yeah, exactly. That you consider when you move as a young player. For sure. Am I going to play games here? It doesn't have to be the first team, but it needs to be games so you can develop your, your so you can develop your yeah, skills and sure. develop your your intelligence in, in game situations yeah. not just in training all the time I mean we, we have to ask because obviously you are very close to the situation and he was a major talking point on the podcast for us last season because we every year we do like a sort of 10 players to watch in each league uh, I had Benjamin Negrin before he kind of was in the first team really um, and he developed so quickly and, and then obviously left quite quickly as well um, and EF Core last season were doing really well at the start of the season um, what, you know, in the situation you've just said there you have to be playing and that kind of thing you know, what was your perspective on that, that move and what's, you know, obviously did you give him advice at the time you know, you're very close there at EF Core you're, you're looked upon as a, you know, a legend there um, could you give us some comment on that situation in general yeah. just like what were your perspectives on it and now he's in Belgium not playing as much um, what were your general thoughts there? Because that insight is very valuable to our listeners, I suppose. Yeah, I would say, I mean, Benji was, he was so smart. He was, he was a clever player. Uh, and that made him, I think that made him valuable for, for clubs in Europe. Uh, I think he should have stayed. That's, that's my opinion. Uh, he should have stayed because he was playing well uh, he did well during my last year as a player as well. He came yeah. on a couple of games and he, he was doing well in training. Obviously, during the winter, he, he, he developed and he, he took that next step into becoming a regular first-team player. But he played, I think it was something around maybe 12, 14 games. Uh, and that's not nearly enough to know if you're at that level or if it's just you're having a good period, you, you know, you're in a, you're in the zone and everything works for you. Yeah. Uh, and, and to be honest, I think Benji had a fantastic start to the season, but the last four or five games before he moved, uh, he was struggling. Uh, yeah. He wasn't playing at his best. Um, and that's what's going to happen when you're, when you're 17, 18. You're going to have a run of games where you pretty much succeed with everything you try. And then there's going to come a downfall in form and, and you're going to struggle a little bit, maybe be on the bench. But it, depending on how you deal with those situations, you're going to come out of it either stronger or you probably would have learned something. But the problem here was that he was moving out. He, he moved away to uh, to a different club when he was pretty much trying to get out of that um, run of form that was maybe not at his best. Uh, but but in that situation, I mean, I know he is he's a he's a clever player, and he's got great advisors around him. His father is smart. He's very very uh, considerate, and like he wouldn't have moved if it if they had thought that that wasn't the best move for him, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have brought him there. Mm. Uh, and it's easy to say now that he's not playing. It, it could still work out for him because he's got a great attitude. He's he's got his head on the right place. Uh, so I think he could still make it in in, in this uh, in this club, but I thought he had played senior football in Gothenburg. It was it was he should have played more games. He should have stayed at least for the whole year. 
uh, and then you could have said, okay, fine. But, but like I said, it's very individual. Uh, but that, that's my opinion. I think yeah. should, I, I, I thought he should have stayed uh, yeah. at least for, for another six months. It's a hundred percent agree with you. That's funny you say that because we we had an episode last year called Fantasy Island Series Three, Episode Seven, and uh, I think I made that exact point that he had actually had a he had had a bit of a dip of form uh, around the period that he left, and which is natural for a sort of you know a teenage player in his first sort of real proper season week in week out. And and I remember that, uh, remarking at that point. I think it was the there was the, it was the derby. I think the Jotterberg derby, and um, there was one of the games just after that where he was a little bit inconsistent and. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I 100% agree with you. It will be an interesting challenge for him, uh, but yeah, it's great to get your your personal insight on on that on that since you're so close to the club. I mean, let's go back to you. Obviously, um, you made like you said, you moved to your garden and um, you really developed there into one of the best players in the league. You you were playing on the left hand side, uh, often of a four three three. You were named in the team of the season uh, with with your garden. How did you find the step up from? Beko Hakan at the time to 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 Jürgen, who you know were who were and are a massive club. Obviously, they're the champions now of, of Sweden. But how did you find that step up? Um, was it something you thrived on? It must have been something that you really enjoyed. Um, yeah, oh, of course. Um, they were they were the reigning champions at the time. Uh, they'd won two years on the trot before I came there. Uh, it was a bit of a it's a bit of a change up of players. I mean, Kim Shellstrom obviously had left, Johan Amandra had left, uh, Andreas Lissakson left in the summer, so a lot of good players were, were being, uh, you know, transferred out in Europe uh, because they've done so well in Europe. And we were the kind of new boys that was coming in, the young new boys coming in and trying to, to do the same thing that they had done before. Um, and it took a while. Uh, it took a couple of months to, to get settled properly. Um, I had a pretty decent season the first one, but didn't score enough goals. Uh, you know, as a, as a as a winger in the in the four three three system, where you're basically told not to, you're not supposed to run back further than the halfway line, basically in that yeah. system. Uh, you need to score more goals. So I was a little bit. Uh, I had a good season. I, don't get me wrong. I was happy with my season. And for the first one in, in Alsvenskan, for me, like first proper season, it was good. But I thought, no, nah, I need to develop my goal scoring. And I, you know, I had, a, I think I had like nine or ten assists, which was which was fine. Uh, that was very very good. Uh, but like the goal scoring needed to be get better. So that was something that I started working on very much with Stefan uh, who was a coach at the time mm. and well basically from there on uh, it started to get a little bit better and then you know scoring goals is always a, a skill that people want to have uh, because it, it helps the team in, in so many ways that obviously you win games by scoring goals uh, so for me that was the key point in, in my career in Newgood and where I just took a step from being a you know a promising 22 year old into being top five player in the league um, because I, I still I still created goals for, for the others and I was yeah. running I was running a lot I was quick uh, creating chances but when you know, when I started scoring goals as well that's when that's when the interest started coming from from, from other clubs as well. Yeah, and it's interesting. You were you were coached at that time by uh, Shelley Jonveret, I believe, 
and um, yeah, I was I was in Stockholm uh, about a couple of months ago, and he was there. He was he was um, helping on Bromma Poikina, I think, uh, most recently. You also played at the legendary Rasunda Stadium, and uh, I believe he's. Am I right in saying that you scored in the Swedish Cup final? One of my uh, colleagues told me about this, but I don't know if that's correct. Yeah, I scored in the Cup <laughs> final, yeah, in 2005. Yeah. I scored in the Cup final against Odurabari. And we'd won the league, uh, the, the, like two weeks before that, we won the league um, in, the, in the 25th round, I think, out of 26. And then, obviously, we played against... Ellsborg in the last round beat them 8-1 fantastic game fantastic day uh, but then there was a cup final a week after that and with all the celebrations and everything that was going on after winning the league you come to the game against Utrilabari and you go like right they're in Superettan where we've just won the league this is going to be a walk in the park uh, and it was 1-0 they, they missed the penalty and we were just we were struggling to play well we controlled the game decently but yeah. then I scored my goal in the 89th minute and it was like you've just settled the cup final you've just you, you, you've won the double and the feeling was more like oh thank god uh, <laughs> more than actually being happy about it yeah. it was more the feeling of relief so it was a weird goal because it was actually like okay boom there it is settled yeah, uh, but it was more relieved than, than happiness at the time. Obviously, after the game was when 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 the game was over, you were happy, obviously, because you realised, okay, we've done something here that not many teams are going to do. Uh, but you would have thought that that goal being decisive and everything would be. I should have been should have been more happy, maybe. Do you think that um, being a being a Yotabug man? I mean, how did you how what did you take from your time at at, at Garden? Um, because then you moved on to Sunderland, which we'll talk about, you know, in, in sort of now. I guess you, you know you really developed as a player at, at Garden. How would you look at your overall evolution there? Um, and how would you look at your time there? Um, now, but I would say, like. As a as a winger in a in a four three three system, it suited me very very well. Uh, I was quick. I I've always had decent timing in, in when to when to cut in behind the defence and, and running down the channels and stuff. Um, so that system was perfect for me. Uh, I wasn't basically I wasn't allowed on my own half the pitch because that was the way it was supposed to be mm. we were supposed to we were supposed to cover our, our left back uh, right back for me then um, but m the way we played it was more the other way around he had to stay because I was I was staying 10 metres in, inside our own half and if he'd have left and, 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 and attacked when we won the ball it would have been it would have been a, the highway down to, the, to their goal yeah. so um, it suited me very well but obviously, the training as well. We trained very hard at times, especially during preseason, and then that made me, made me quicker, made me stronger, made me more fit. Uh, my endurance was at a level where probably wasn't any time after that. So I think the the whole picture and the whole the whole method of, of what you did suited me very well at the time. And then, and then you moved on to Sunderland, which you know we'll come to now. That was a, a quite a big move in two thousand and six uh, for one point seven million. 
and you made the move to, to English football. What was your uh, perspectives on English football? For, I mean, the first thing I guess to ask is what, what was it like playing under, under Roy Keane, who was your, your manager at the time, the former Manchester United uh, legend? Uh, what was it, you know, how did the move come about? How did everything happen? You know, you, at this point you were sort of fairly well experienced, you were in your 20s. How did the move happen? What was the experience from you know your own personal point of view in terms of just your general life? Obviously, the, a life change, and then also from a football point of view. Um, well, for me, it was, was similar, a little bit similar to, to what happens when when players has a good season and then the next season isn't isn't going quite as well. Um, then Sunderland came and. and you got an obviously was like, yeah, but he's 24 now. He probably, you know, we need to sell him now if, he, if otherwise he's going to get a little bit too old. To, mm. to like now we've we've developed him now for two and a half years. Let's let's move him. Let's move him on. Mm. Um, for me, it was like English football had always been my dream. Um, I I mean, obviously, my father playing for Liverpool. Um, when I was when I was a kid, basically the first couple of years when when you were watching games on TV, it was only English games. Uh, hmm. First after when I was like, oh, what could I have been? Maybe thirteen, fourteen when they started showing Italian football here. Who did so, you Who did you support? In, in, in England, been Liverpool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I always been Liverpool, of course. Yeah. Um, so. You know, coming to England and, and playing for Sandler, I knew Sandler was a massive club. They were struggling at the time because, obviously, they'd just gone relegated. Uh, they'd been relegated with, I think, it was 14 points from the Premier League. And uh, at the time when I came there and signed, they'd lost four games in a row in the beginning of the season. So they were dead last in the championship. Um, so it was, it was a, a little bit of a controversial move in, in the Swedish media and with the fans because they thought oh he's leaving he's leaving the, a top club in Sweden to go to like a, a shit club in the championship <laughs> but but for me it was more like I knew Sunderland was a big club I mean I, I it was only a matter of time before they were going to get back on their feet again and obviously with, with every, everything in, with, with what happened after it was it was both a right and a wrong move maybe to do but we won the league uh, so we got we got promoted again, and, and that was that was that that was that was basically why I moved there. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was I was struggling with form. I was struggling a little bit with um, adapting to the pace of the game. Uh, the the quality of the players was a little bit higher. The pace of the game was higher, um, and obviously. The biggest reason I wasn't really successful is also that when you play in Sweden, you have your plays in your team. You play. You can you can have two or three bad games, but you still be playing. Uh, but it's not like that. You have to play well. You have to be consistent. You have to do well every game. Otherwise, there's going to be someone else knocking on the door and, 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 and taking your place. Yeah. And I wasn't really used to that. So after playing, I think, the first game... Uh, played against West Brom my first game at the Stadium of Light and was named man of the match and had a good game and everything and, and then the next game I was I was I was on the bench and then the next game again I wasn't even on the bench so for me that was 
Layered a bit, you know, there's a new manager coming in, like you said, Roy Keane. He brought in six new players. One of them was a left winger. So I never felt, during the first couple of months, I never felt that, like, okay, the club brought me here and the, the manager doesn't even want me here. Mm. Uh, but then that changed a little bit. Started playing a little bit more. And then during January, I actually played regularly for, for a month or two. Uh but then obviously, like I said, you know, a little bit of dip of form and then the other guy comes in and he was doing well as as well. So it was uh, it was a it was a strange season for me because I wasn't used to that competition. And with knowing what I know now, maybe I should have prepared myself more. Uh, I wasn't ready for that, I think. Yeah, because you said on the record um, that you <clears throat> you felt like you didn't really... You didn't really do enough at Sunderland, maybe to to make it. You didn't feel like maybe you were as successful as you'd have liked to have been. You've kind of said that before in previous interviews, from what I've read. Um, did you feel that it was just difficult to adapt? I mean, you said that you had trouble settling in Sunderland. What, you know, what were the issues in Wearside? Was it just were you missing the Jotterburg sort of uh, air? Was it the sea air? The, you know, the the coastal air? Or um, <laughs> I mean, I still miss Jotterberg, and that was two years ago. I only yeah, left a few years ago, so I kind of relate to you. But yeah, what were the reasons? I think the main reasons, obviously, was was football-based, I think. Mm. Um, I wasn't playing as well as I thought I would. Uh, and, and, you know, to be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't, like, I, I, I felt at the time, and maybe feel a little bit, that I could have gotten a few more chances, but... To be honest, we won the league uh, and everybody was doing well. So maybe I got the time I deserved. Uh, and if that's the case, then I just wasn't good enough. And and I think what one thing that I wasn't doing well enough was adapting off the pitch. Mm. It was very much, you know, getting friends over, uh, being with my girlfriend. Uh, I wasn't really trying to make friends off the pitch. Inside, inside the dressing room, and when we were away on travels and, and away games and stuff, there was never a problem. Everybody was everybody was hanging out and everybody was having fun. And I mean, I, I hang around a little bit with Liam Lawrence and, and Daryl Murphy before they left, uh, before Liam Lawrence left, and yeah. then after that, when Anthony Stokes came, uh, me and him hung around a little bit. But I should have done even more, I think, especially you know to get a little bit of a social life with with my girlfriend also uh, so that so that we could have done more when when we weren't training or playing games because what happened was I think that I was when I wasn't picked for the team and I wasn't picked to to travel I was like I'll just sit home and play video games <laughs> and you football know football manager yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh, no but it was just one of them where you started feeling you started feeling homesick yeah you're not in the team you know you're sitting you talk to your friends and you have your friends over and they leave and you think i want to go with them i want to go back um so what happened when we got promoted was that obviously the 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 summer break came uh and during the summer break when i was i think it was home in sweden for seven or eight weeks and we just felt we, we we got um we got like we we uh, we found out that um, we were having a baby as well mm. we, before just before we got back to Sweden on, on holiday. So 
I think what happened was when we were home, we just felt, nah, this is where we want to be. We don't want to be raising a baby in England, yeah. away from our family, away from her family, obviously, as well. So when we came back, uh, I just went up to, to the manager and, and basically said, oh, look, I haven't settled in. Uh, I don't enjoy being here. And I know and you know that I'm not going to be a star player next year and I want to play. So will you please arrange for me so that I can have a transfer to go back home? And I mean... And he was... Sorry, go on. Nah, uh, and I mean, going up to, to, to Roy King's office <laughs> to tell him that you don't want to be there anymore, <laughs> I expected him to like, yeah, fucking get your act together and just <laughs> get like put your head in and just keep working. But he was actually, he was actually great with it, uh, and he like he, he sat down and he explained how he felt when he came from Ireland and he came obviously to Nottingham first, I think. Uh, and I really, really appreciated that because it made it a whole lot easier to to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, but but the, the decision was already made, and I just said, look, I know, and you know, you're trying to make me feel better and everything, but I I want to go back. Mm. Uh, and then he made it happen. I mean, they, like you said, I think they paid 1.7 million pounds. I think I got back to Gothenburg for around a million, maybe. Um, so Sunderland was very, very helpful uh, with me going back. Obviously, they lost some money, um, and they bought a player that it didn't work out for them. Mm. Uh, so in that sense, I'm very grateful that that they let me go back. Um, so I've only got I've got a lot of good memories from there. Um, some 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 of the players I try and keep in contact with a little bit. You know, some a message on Instagram here and a, yeah. a WhatsApp message here. But um, you know, when I when I look back at it, it wasn't it wasn't a successful period in, in my career, but it was still it was still a year that. I have some very fond memories from it still. Yeah. I mean, you played with uh, quite a lot of high-profile players, and uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute, players you've played with in, in your career. I mean, you played like Johnny Evans was at the, in the team at that time. You had Rory Delap, obviously, yeah. the famous long-throw yeah. expert. And there was, you know, Dwight York was there for a bit. Dwight York um, was there, yeah. A lot exactly. of high-profile. Yeah. Danny Simpson, obviously. Yeah, exactly. So, you, yeah. you know, you, it sounds like, you, I suppose, from a... Um, just from a life perspective, probably you know, fantastic experience. Just from from that point of view, I mean, let's talk about EF Core because there's a lot of fans who listen to the show, and they'll want to be talking about that situation. You, you move to back to Yotaburg, as you say, and you became, you know, the latest member of your family. You know, your esteemed family with the EF Core history. What was it like from that point of view? Was there any family pressure, or was it kind of a? Did you feel like you were coming home in a way when you when you signed for them? Because it must have been quite a special moment from that point of view. Uh, and then just tell us about your first few seasons there. Yeah, I think uh, the the move to Gothenburg was was on in two thousand and three as well. But then they bought Peter EJ from from Malmo, and mm. obviously that 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 transfer never came through in two thousand and three. Uh, so when I spoke to Hawk Mill, who was the sports director at the time. He said, we're, we're going to fix this. We're going to make sure that this happens. Uh, and yeah, when I came when I came to, to the first game and played against Ellsborg and it was 30,000 in the stands and, and, and people were singing, welcome home. <laughs> Obviously, that, that was 
that was that was great. Uh, the pressure was there. I don't think so much because of the family name. I think it was more and more uh, more because they were in the middle of a of a, of a title race, uh, and I came in as a, as a like twenty five year old like player that the year before basically had been one of the best players in the league. Yeah. Uh, considering I only was one year in England, so it was more the pressure of you know keeping their title race. You know, coming in, not ruining everything. Yeah. Uh, but I think more than the next year in 2008, I felt the pressure that now I have to deliver because now I don't have any excuses. I had a preseason. I've had the friendlies. I've had everything. I've been here for like 10 months. Mm. This is the year we where where I'm going to be back at my old level again. And and that was the pressure I felt. And and that made it hard for me that year. Uh, I wasn't playing well, uh, but if you look at the stats, I've always said that. I mean, I scored four goals and maybe made seven in in twenty five, twenty six games, which isn't. It's not awful, uh, but the standards that I was compared with was was much better. Uh, so yeah. that year was difficult, and then obviously at the end of that year, at the end of the season of two thousand and eight, maybe last four or five games uh, they put me on as a striker uh, instead of a left wing they put me up front uh, and I think I scored two or three goals uh, in the in the last couple of four or five games uh, yeah, your so first, season two the, your first goal was yeah. actually against uh, against Malmo funnily enough uh, an, an, assi- yeah, an assist an assist from Pontus Wernblum so the the FM yeah, Sweden yeah. the FM Sweden connection came together yeah yeah we yeah but he, he's given me He's 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 given me a lot of goals. And he always he always complains about if I if I had learned to score earlier, he would have been a professional in Europe one year earlier. So, um, but yeah, no, but yeah, first goal was against Malmo in two thousand seven. But but in between in, in the preseason of two thousand and nine, obviously Stefan Rien now then as I had I had as a coach in in Uber and he was a coach at Gothenburg. So he came to me and he said, look, we think you can continue playing striker. What do you feel? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Okay, then we're going to start training your goal scoring again because you need to score more goals. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So I started playing as a striker. Uh, I had Pontus Van Bloem actually as a number 10. You wouldn't think that looking at him now, (laughs) but he 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 was awesome in that role. In the way we played, he was fantastic because uh, he played more as a target player and giving it back, you know, and, and he had good feet and he, he has good feet. Uh, now they're getting a bit slow, but uh, but at the time we played together then. And, and basically what I did, I was, I started running. I just said to myself, you're going to, you're going to get, you, you're going to get your pace back. You're going to get your confidence back and you're just going to start running at every ball don't ever stop and when I started doing that chances started to appear you know goals started to come uh, I, I scored a hat-trick in one of the friendlies when coming up to the to the league start um, and then obviously first game we lost on a you know if it had been VR at the time it would have been it would have been ruled off but never mind but then Obviously, 
first game at new Gamla Ullevi uh, against Djurgården of all teams. And we beat them 6-0, two goals, one assist. And from there on, there was no looking back, really. Uh, I started scoring goals for fun and, and just had the time of my life. You know, playing that well, especially for the Fyrth Bori, was, was special. Uh, so, from there on, it was it was pretty much like, okay, now, this is it. Now, now I'm back. Uh, and then it just... And, carried on for the next couple of years obviously 2012 so and so but but still still you know just going on and on from there yeah and you had a really successful time there i mean you had your best goal scoring seasons uh, around that time uh, one season you know you were the top goal scorer in uh, 2009 i believe joint top goal scorer 18 goals uh the following season you hit another i think it was 16 um and you just carried on really didn't you um form wise how how big was it playing for that club and i mean Let's move towards the sort of the latter part of the career. I mean, obviously you won you won things as well. The latter part of your career is kind of, I suppose, when we started as a podcast, um, I was out in Sweden and so watched you in, in several games, uh, sort of 2017 season, 2016 season, and you became like the elder elder statesman of the club. Um, how did you find that transition? And did, did you just feel like you were at home and this is the place you, you, know, you wanted to stay? Obviously you moved to China as well. Um, but what was the you know the feeling around the club at that time and, and that move to China? Yeah, well, the thing was that um, the, the first spell I had was was very very successful. I mean, we won the cup twice. We won obviously the title in, in two thousand seven. So if you compare that spell to the second one, it, it was it was much better. Um, but then. What happened was that we had a. When I came to Gothenburg in 2007, we had a lot of very good young players, mm. and and you know, after a couple of years, people started to get moves to bigger clubs in Europe. Pontus went to Alkmaar, uh, Matthias Biashmir went to Panathinaikos, Ragnar Sigurdsson went, um, Gustav Svensson left, Sebastian Eriksson left, um, so. In the end, it was me, and it was Selakovic, and then obviously Hannes Stiller came in. It was Jalma Jonsson stayed, and, and we were a couple of the, the older guys. We're getting older, um, and, and for me, it was I love playing for Gothenburg. I've always done. Uh, it, it's my club, and it's been it's been since I was a kid, but it's even more now, obviously, uh, because I played there for so many years and had good times and bad times. Then obviously I went to China uh, as a 32-year-old, getting an, an opportunity to, to basically make that amount of money in two years was I couldn't I couldn't resist that. It was just it had been ridiculous to just say no because now nah, I'm going to stay here. Uh, obviously at the time you start you know the the, the standard answer is oh it's an adventure and it's oh it's going to be so nice to see a different culture. That's just bullshit. <laughs> I mean, you get that. Like, that's part of the package. But if you'd have come to me and say, look, you can go to China, you can have the same wage as you have in Gothenburg, I'd just say, exactly. yeah, right. Yeah. But it's, I mean, obviously, the, the amounts we're talking about there, they would have, it was ridiculous. I mean, you know what China's like now, and it's not like that, and it wasn't like that. But having seen what, Chinese, what the Chinese League have done in the last couple of years... This was the beginning of it. Yeah. Uh, they they started to get players over. I mean, they had 
fantastic foreign players there even when I got there. But in Europe, it was more, okay, now China is starting to buy players for 60 million euros. They got Oscar, they got Hulk, they yeah. got Demba Ba, they got like Carlos Tevez. It was, and I was like in the very, very beginning of that. Uh, and I, like I said, in, in that stage of my career and in, in, with the, in, the, in that age, I was like, I have to do it. There's no, you, you, there's no excuse not to. Yeah. But like my mindset was always I was going to come back. And I was going to come back and, and I was going to be, I was going to be good enough to actually make a difference when I get back. And for the first two seasons, I think I did. We weren't successful, but I still played well enough to like say, okay, it was a good thing that he came back. Um, and the second spell was more like you said in the beginning. It was more being a, a spokesman for the club, being an ambassador, you know, trying to create uh, a profile that could be retiring, if you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, because it's always easy when you're playing at the club and you've been successful, even even if you've been successful at, at a previous spell. I still, I mean, I've played 380 games. I've scored over 100, it's like 150 goals or something. So for a play like that to then, I wouldn't say deteriorate, but the last year was just injuries. It was playing badly. Yeah, yeah. It was just a year like fuck. I should have just retired <laughs> after 2017. I mean, yeah. Let me uh, let me come. I, but I didn't want. Let me let me come to that because um, <clears throat> that's kind of like like I say around the time that I sort of moved to Jotterburg and, and I, it was, it's really fascinating to get your perspective on it because yeah as you say you were, you were like the elder statesman at that time and my memory of EFCO when I when I arrived there was like it was a bit of a club that had gone a little bit stale to a certain extent um, there was like financial issues there was problems behind the scenes from what I can understand and you know knowing people there and that kind of thing um, and you were kind of the man who was like the, the figurehead of it all if you know what I mean you were the person that everyone kind of looked to maybe to solve solve all the problems to a certain extent um, you know, as you say, you know, did you feel that pressure yourself at the, at the time with the unrest? Was it a situation where you felt a bit uncomfortable, or you know, given all those factors, as, as I mentioned, the financial issues, and uh, you know, there was even it, talks of issues like, say, Mats Gren, um, the, the you know that kind of thing. There was a lot of behind the scenes stuff at EF Core. That was really what I felt around that time, was wasn't there? Yeah, there was. There was. There was too many. There was too many issues. You know that was that was about stuff that wasn't football. Uh, it was it was talks about like the transfer of Gustav Engvall, uh, how that happened. Yeah, uh, there was rumors that Matsgren had forced him out. There was all these rumors when the AIK game came up that that Mats had screwed up with with the keeper. They're mentioning his name and everything. Um, and there was financial troubles. We had a lot of players on loan. Uh, many of them fantastic players, great people as well. But there were still five people coming in, four people going out. Uh, and obviously, in the end, we we didn't just we didn't perform well enough. Yeah. And when a club like AFK doesn't perform well enough, there's going to be questions from the media, from the fans, from from partners and sponsors and everything. And for me, being in the mix of all that being the oldest player, being the most experienced player and also been the best player. Not, I'm not saying I was the best player, but I was consistent for the first two years and people were moving out. I mean, we got players like Biesmer disappeared again. 
uh, Albeck left, yeah. uh, Ankersen left, and, and a lot of the players that was playing well, they left. And for me, it was a situation where I, I know this club. I've been here so long. Uh, I have the responsibility to make sure that I take, I can take that pressure off some of the younger players. Mm. They don't have to stand there and listen and answer to questions and speak to fans and you know stuff like that. Let let me do that because it doesn't bother me. Uh, because I felt I was still playing quite well. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it was more about taking responsibility as an older player and maybe the, one of the most experienced players, rather than me being like an IFK ambassador or yeah. whatever. It, it, it's like everything kind of ends up being in the mixture, everything all together. But it was more like a 19-year-old doesn't have to, to do this. Exactly, I can do yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, and that was my that was my thoughts about it. Like if, if there's a meeting with the board, or if there's a meeting with the coaches, or if there's a meeting with the fans and media. I can do that. Yeah. No problem. You don't have to do it. You're 19. You focus on your football, and I can do. I can take care of the rest. I mean, Matt's, Matt's, I mean, Matt's Green, Matt's Green eventually left. Jurgen Lennartson as well left around that time, um, and then he, of course, seemed to sort of go in a, in a new direction with the, the, you know, the focus on youth and a lot of academy players came through, and there was kind of the statement that there was going to now focus on on young talents and and the emergence of you know players like Negan that we mentioned and. Uh, you know, others, uh, August Ellingmark, Mark, people like that. You played less and less in, in your final season, and and you didn't really feature in uh, you didn't feature in any of the last three games of that season. At what point did you decide maybe it's time for me to hang up my boots? And I mean, I don't know to what extent you want to answer this, but did did you feel that sort of Matt's Gren leaving was the turning point for the club, as harsh as that might sound, in terms of new fortunes and? Um. Now, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was a turning point because there was still a lot of work to do. Uh, but I think, I mean, Mats did a lot of great things too. It, I mean, looking back at it, when when you're in the middle of everything, you just you you, you find your way and and you think, okay, this is what I think about the situation, and you and then you stick with that. And for me, I felt that he was not doing his job properly, which was the reason why things were going south. And we told him that that was what, like us in the in the in the players' council, and and we went to him and we went to the board and we said we think you should replace him because he we don't think he's doing his job well enough. We don't have confidence in, in his ability to turn this around. Mm. Uh, but having said that, when you look back at it now, I still feel that was the case at the time because there was. He was whatever he was doing or whatever he was saying at the time, right or wrong, it got turned. Neg- it was negative publicity for the club. He he could say something that wasn't all that bad, if if you look at what he said. Yeah. But the angles that got twisted upside down, and it was negative for for IFK. Uh, just as a, as a as an example, he we didn't have any games, and there was obviously turbulence at the club, but he we didn't have any games. But we've been playing very poorly. He goes to support his daughter at an Ironman competition in Miami, and that got twisted so much that people actually thought that he just left. Oh, he went on holiday to Miami uh, in the middle of everything that's happening. And and when you 
when you see that and when you hear that often enough, that becomes the truth. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's about with a little bit of distance to it. Mats did a lot of good things. He probably did more than many others could have done. But at the time, whatever he did, whatever he did, just got turned to negative things. So that's why he had to go, in my opinion. Uh, but then I would say there was a lot of work to do, a lot of work. It still is. Obviously, now with the situation now, it's it's completely turned everything upside down. So there's going to be a job to do for a lot of years to come. But I feel for my own in for, for, for my own career, I was like, I decided to quit. My thought was always, I have two years and then one year with an option to, to keep going, mm. and then that's it. Uh, if I'd have played like I did in 2018, into 2017, I would have retired then. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have, I would have just, nah, let's just been that last year. Uh, but like I said, 2017, we weren't successful, but for me as, a, as an individual, I still scored nine, I think I made seven, so there was no reason to quit. But the last year was going to be the last year and I think unless I'd have scored nine or ten again I would have retired after that year because the, the you know the, the, my, my body just called it a quits basically yeah. uh, it just said look you've played for too long now just give it a rest like stop uh, and that's why I didn't play in the end of the season because I just couldn't it was like oh, I'm going to get myself out for, for the Malama game and that's it. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, you, you took quite a mature and sensible decision. And, and obviously, you, you stepped away from the club. I mean, what, what fascinated me was you were in a leadership role at the club at the time. You were kind of helping with the behind the scenes, weren't you, in terms of even, to a certain extent, coaching and that kind of thing with, with Poy Aspargi. Um, how, what do you think about him as a, as a coach? Uh, and what, you know, what do you think the out, future outlook is for EF Court at this moment in time? Are you, are you excited about the future for the club, um, where do you think they're going from that point of view? Just tell us a little bit about maybe him as well and the insights that you have on, on him as a manager because it was a season of transition for EF Core last year. W what's your perspective on it? Uh, um, yeah, well, here, this is, this is the thing now and you have to look at it from two different ways. I can look at it from the way it should have been if this coronavirus hadn't occurred <laughs> because it's going to be, com yeah, but it's going to be completely different because the money is going to be if it was, if they were short on money before, it's going to be gone now. Yeah. Uh, so that is gonna, that is gonna leave a mark. They could have probably gone into this season, maybe buying one player, uh, maybe trying to develop one, bringing one in on loan. Maybe now again they're going to have to sell two players. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the situation will be like. But if you look at it. If, if we'd have sat here in January and, and said, what do you think about IFK's future? I would have said, it's, it's bright. Um, they have a couple of players that will be that will be very, very successful. Uh, I think players like Al-Hassan Yusuf, Hosa yeah. uh, Mayesh, uh, I think player like George Karish really is going to grow into... To, he, if he just takes one more step, he's going to be a top five player in the league. Um same with Hossam. If Hossam can can get some delivery when he's, I mean, he's probably the best player in the league going one on one with his defender. Uh, he's good even phasing. He's good phasing goal, but he's also good 
phasing away from goal because he can turn with his defender and and make the defender and almost help him to cover the ball. So that makes him very hard to play against. But he needs to he needs to find a, an end product. He needs to score more goals and create more goals. Sure. Uh, but if he starts doing that, then that's another two, three million euros. Uh, and that's what needs to happen now, I'm, I'm afraid. Mm. They're going to have to develop these players into top players in the league and then they're going to have to sell them, uh, which is basically what they've been doing before as well, but even more so now. Then. So I think what what IFK needs to do now is like like it's been before, but they need to develop the, the scouting. Uh, they need to very, very much consider every single transfer in to make sure that they can get money back uh, when they do actually sell players. Um, but there's a lot of good players there. Uh, the, the starting eleven is, is definitely a team that can beat any team. Uh, I think maybe the width of the, of the squad needs strengthen a little bit. Uh, there needs to be a centre-half coming in, obviously, uh, if, if not only for the numbers on, on training. Uh, they need a striker. Yeah. Robin Soder is not going to play 30 games a year. So, two or three players in uh, in a normal in a normal season, and they would have been competing for maybe top five. Now, impossible to say. Uh, yeah. I have no idea how bad this is going to turn out to be. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely up. Go on, sir. Yeah, and, nah, but the, 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 I mean, it all depends on when the league actually starts. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's all up in the air really now, isn't it? For every team, I suppose, there's going to be uh, an uncertain few months ahead, I think. Um, it's fascinating to get your, your thoughts on it. Though. I mean, let's widen it out and talk about, you know, we really appreciate your time. We'll, we'll try and wrap this up uh, as we finish now with a few last questions um, from a few listeners and that kind of thing. I mean, obviously, we haven't even talked about the Swedish national team, which is a big part of your career. And like you say, you played over 300 times for EF Core. Who is the best player you've ever played with in your career? If you had to name one, obviously Zlatan is someone that you play with. There's so we had a little riff round earlier of players that you'd play with in your career to our, to our followers. Um, who's the best player you've ever played with? Yeah, well, it, it, it has to be Zlatan. I mean, there's no one on his level. Uh, you could argue that Dwight York was was up and about there, but Zlatan has had a career that's very rare. Uh, so obviously, Slatan. Can you tell us? Can, can you tell us a story that sums up why you think he is the best player? Like something he did maybe when you were playing with him, or you know, an example of him when you were, you know, what was he like to work with? That kind of thing. Um, maybe. Just no, but he was he was he was quality all all through. I mean, he you could you could ping a ball in in, in you know wherever he was on the pitch, and he'd just bring it down. It was like. You, you could think, well, oh, that wasn't a good pass. And then he just made it look like a good pass because he could just control it yeah. whenever he wanted. And obviously, you know, all the finishing drills uh, in training, after training, he was just lethal. I mean, he was shooting so hard and with such accuracy that he was like, I mean, I could shoot that hard if I just absolutely smashed the ball as hard as I could, <laughs> but it could end up anywhere. Uh, and he just drilled it, top corner, bottom corner, far corner, near corner. He dinged it. I mean, he he could score in so many different ways, and and he brought the ball down in so many different ways. And 
you know, he's quick and he's strong, and you you could see when you when we made some strides in the warm up when you were supposed to do a little bit of a longer stride, and, and he would go like 80 percent, and he'd still be all right, and then all of a sudden you just see, okay, now he's gonna now he's really gonna go for it, and after twenty meters he was just flying. He was so quick. He's got such great pace over a little bit longer distances, and you wouldn't think that because he's so big. Uh, but you know that just through and through great professional and, and fantastic player I mean look at the clubs that he's represented look at the goals that he scored the amount of goals he scored and the amount of titles he's won is that speaks for itself obviously he's got that persona as being a little bit bit, bit arrogant and he, he has that sort of personality that he has was he was he like that off, off, you know with, you know out away from the cameras and that kind of thing as well was he was he like that was he was he sort of um bit more humble or, or, you know what was he like as to work with nah he was he was always perfect uh, I think I think he, he he understood quite early that that could be his thing uh, I, I think he I think he's himself I'm not saying he's not but he's not like that when you when you're behind closed doors uh, it, it would have been impossible uh, in a team with 22 players to have a player doing exactly I mean he could do pretty much what he wanted but mm. he didn't uh, I think he was no, nah, he was he was just a normal, he was just a normal guy who knew he was good at football, and he, he like he knew he was good, and he had he had his he had a status obviously in the team and and uh, and a position that made him like he could he could do pretty much what he wanted, yeah. but but it, it wasn't it wasn't in a bad way. Uh, I never had any problems with him. I, think I enjoyed playing with him. I enjoyed looking at him, uh, looking at him training and stuff because you thought, okay, I'm going to just try and do this once, and then he just did it ten times. <laughs> uh, so that's yeah, long answer to a short question, but yeah, they say uh, they say that obviously uh, Maradona. I watched the Maradona documentary, and they said that Maradona was like he was Diego off the field and Maradona on it, and I suppose um, he had to build that persona. And maybe it's a similar thing, like Ibrahimovic, you know. Um, you know, and then the Zlatan persona that he has as well, maybe. But uh, who would you say is the funniest player you ever played with? Who who was someone that you got on really well with? Maybe good in the dressing room, good at jokes, that kind of thing that you got on with. From that point of view, is it Pont- Pontus Wembley? Would you would you name him or who else? Yeah, he's uh, he's up there, obviously. But that's because he's a friend as well, off the pitch, and and always has been since we first met. Um, I mean, you've you've got the you've got the Stefan Salakovic as well, obviously. Hannes Stiller is. You know, Bieschmer is still good friends of mine. Uh, but the funniest one in that sense, I think uh, Dwight York is up there, definitely. Because uh, he was just, uh, he was a lovable person. I mean, he was just, with all that experience and all the, like that he, he'd achieved when he came to Sunderland, you could have thought that he was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to come here and play, you know. But he was he was a great person, like great pro, great person, funny, telling stories. You know, he, he was yeah. I, I would say he's definitely up there. Fantastic. Uh, not not in the not in the sense of making jokes, maybe, but but just being a good person to have in the dressing room. Yeah. I would say Liam Miller. Sadly, he passed a yeah, couple of years ago. Of course. But he was one as well. Uh, he, but he was more fun. Stephen Elliott, the Irish lads, was. All of them uh, in, in, at Sunderland. Yeah. Uh, Who was the most eccentric character? I mean, 
we we did have a listener question about Asamoa Jan. Uh, I think who you play with in Shanghai. Yeah, um, but he was he was the same he was the same as as York. He he was funny. I mean, you he was nah. He was funny. He was good also. You know, he sat down and, and like obviously in China's a little bit different because all the all the foreigners stick together when when it's breakfast and and all the meals. Obviously, you sit together and you talk because people want to talk English. Yeah. And many of the Chinese guys, you know, they want to sit and talk Chinese with each other. Um, but no, Asamoah Jan and York was pretty much the same. Asamoah was maybe I didn't get to know him as well. Uh, I, I played with York for a little bit longer. Yeah. But but eccentric in that way, um, there hasn't been all that many in that way. I'm trying to think. If you come, yeah, we'll come back you to it. If you, if you, if you, if you, if you, we'll come back to it. If you do, there's one, one other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that question about Jean was. I'll think about it. Yeah. That question from about Jean was from Ben Jack. So thanks, Ben, for your question. And then the other one was, uh, if you had to pick a fight, if you were going into a fight with, which one player would you take with you into a fight that you played with in your um, career? Um, yeah, that I've played with. Well, you could take a manager if you want to take Roy Keane. I mean that. <laughs> Uh, Who's that, sorry? Goalkeeper from uh, Pademba Turai. Okay. Goalkeeper from Uruguay. He's two meters tall, um, <laughs> and he was just—he had hands like uh, basket. He could grab basketballs <laughs> like that, and he was just—he's the—he's the nicest person you could ever imagine. Calm and everything, but but I, I would reckon if he'd come along, he would just. Okay, we'll just back off. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> he was just so huge that, uh, and obviously Slaven as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Two pretty uh, good players. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think Fadembutari. I'd probably I'd give him a call and say, "Listen, I need some help here." <laughs> and then let, let's just end it. I mean, what's you know your future outlook right now? Um, you know, obviously retired. You've had a fantastic career, as we mentioned. You know, more than three hundred games for EF Core. You've um, won titles. You've won awards. We talked about FM Sweden, and I read that you've also you're, you're, you're involved with uh, Kungsbacker City. Is that correct? Uh, a small club in yeah. in Jotterburg. Tell us a little bit about that. And do you have coaching ambitions in the future? What's your next steps apart from playing football uh, manager? Yeah, no, I think Kungsbacker City is is um, we started we started in a, a club here in in Kungsbacker when I retired because I still wanted to play. Uh, but I knew I, I couldn't. I couldn't put like four or five days in a week to play in Division One or mm. Two or whatever. So we we just said I want to I want to play with my friends again. Yeah. So me and Stefan Salakovic and and Trierik and, and a couple of others, I asked them to come and play. So I have a couple of friends here in Kungsbacker that wanted to do something as well. So we're like we were maybe with ten people uh, starting the club. Uh, and then just from there on, it's been you know gathers gather a couple of players that have been playing in the region before. One Division Six last year, now we're playing in Division Five. Obviously, this year is going to be a little bit strange, but but yeah, no, I think as of coaching ambitions, if if it had been just up to me, I would have I would have done it. But I feel after twenty years of playing, I think I owe it to my family to. To be home a little bit more, so 
At the moment, no. I, I, I will try and get all the coaching badges, but I'm not going to get into coaching on any level soon. But in a couple of years, maybe, yeah, when the kids have grown up a little bit and they still don't want to hang around with their parents anymore. <laughs> um, it could, it could be, it could be an option, absolutely. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. Well, listen, uh, Tobias, it's been fantastic to speak to you. Really appreciate your time. Um, we will be keeping an eye on FM Sweden, and yeah, obviously hope to keep in touch. Perhaps when I return to Jutteborg, if there's ever, a, if this lockdown's yeah, ever end, if this lockdown ever ends, then uh, yeah, maybe we can uh, meet up for a fika or something. So yeah, really, yeah. really appreciate um, your time. Thanks a lot, and. Uh, Thank yeah, you. that's it. Thanks very much for speaking yeah. to us. Tobias Hussain. Thank you.